minister's love light. How's that? We're going to get right into everybody's business here. But, <laughs> but really, uh, you know, from, from my seat, uh, we, we watch as some married couples go through uh, turmoil to tragedy uh, in, in the ministry. Um, I'm not sure that there's a, a, a robust training or course on how to navigate the demands of ministry uh, while also navigating healthy rhythms in marriage. And uh, some folks figure that out with some degree of ease, while others figure it out with a great degree of conflict. And um, uh, I was watching one uh, soundbite from a ministry married couple, and uh, the wife uh, was the ministry spouse in this case, and uh, she talked about her husband's mistress, and the mistress that she was referring to was the ministry, was the church, and uh, the constant tug a uh, tug of war and uh, divided affections that she felt. And it took, it took them uh, better than a decade in ministry to work out a doable balance that made sense, both ministerially and uh, from, from a marriage point of view. So uh, uh, my friend and uh, demon mentor kind of guy, uh, Dr. Vigil, uh has uh, significant experience ministerially and educationally in the marriage of uh, marriage and counseling. And so Dr. Vigil, uh, uh share with us, uh, you know, some building blocks uh, that would make for a good mixture of marriage and ministry. I'm going to hand the baton off to you. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, again, I'm not quite sure uh, how the interaction has been in the past, um, but I would encourage you. It'd be great if we had a good dialogue taking place. Uh, I have I have uh, notes or a resource in mind that could cover about five hours worth of conversation, but <laughs> this is supposed to be just a lunchtime, and I don't think your soup bowl is deep enough for that <laughs> long of, of a conversation. Um, uh, Dr. Vigil, you, Dr. Vigil, you go as long as you want. We'll record it and come back to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, but we want you to go as long as you want to. <laughs> well, what I want to do is not just to uh, dispense information or data or insight, whatever, but Please. really communicate with you as to where you are. And I think it's more than just one individual bringing insight to the table uh, you all have lived life, whether you've, you've been married or you've dealt with married couples or you've peeked into the scriptures. All of those things will give you some resources of, uh, of insight. So please feel free. Um, if, you, uh, if you agree with me, oh boy, it'd be great to hear you talk. If you disagree, just keep that red mute button on. That'll be helpful. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, I, uh, let, me, um, let me start off just affirming what... Uh, with, uh, now can I call you Don or is it uh, the Reverend Dr. Bishop uh, Emil? I'm going to call you Don. Be, Don would just uh, be wonderful. <laughs> it's, a, again, it's a pleasure to meet with you folks. Um, it looks like there's one individual, Zane Huffman is there. Zane was one of my students at uh, Central Bible College a long time ago. So it's good to see that he is here. Um, and uh, I'm assuming that uh, that you're here by your own choice and not because uh, uh, the, the superintendent has required you to be there. But uh, God bless you, sir. Good to see you all. Uh, if, I, if there's other here that I have been equated in the past, and I, gosh, and I haven't been able to recognize, I apologize. I'm getting old. Um, but just reaffirming, um, I mean, there's uh, a few books from my shelf. These are silly books. From my shelf uh, that reiterate a little bit of what uh, Don was talking about. 
uh, I, I think it's more than just uh, helping you to, to do one thing or one activity in terms of uh, how do I, uh, how do I enrich or even understand my life, my love life as a minister, or how do I increase marital intimacy within my, my own marriage? Th those things are important. But too often when people ask me that question, it's give me some insights. And again, think of books like this. So I said, well, here, read these books because this isn't the conversation I really want to enter into because I think it falls short in terms of what true uh, marital intimacy is. This book is called 2002 Ways to Say I Love You. It's just nice little quips that are there. This is um, 101 Ways to Romance Your Marriage. I see this as manipulation, but that's okay. If it works, hey, uh, this one is 101 Ways to Be Romantic. Um, Okay, I, I, for some folks, it takes a miracle more than just that. Here's this, a dating your mate, a creative, creative dating ideas for those who are married and those who would like to be. I, don't, I hadn't had this book a long time. This is copywritten 1987. Listen to one of the, the, the table of contents or uh, one of the chapters here. I think it's in here. Yes, yes. Uh, here's some of the chapter uh, headings, creative dating. Uh, dates for two or more, quick dates, big time dates with a with a price tag on it. Here's my favorite when I first got this. It says cheap dates. <laughs> uh, I've used some of them, but don't tell my wife. Um, but these were some, some things I thought, I, I, don't, I don't know how to be romantic. Um, where at first I used to think I was uh, Don Juan. My wife reminded me that I'm more like Don Knotts. Um, that I just, I'm not, I not, don't have it. So these were helpful. Uh, Norman Wright has this old book called Romancing Your Marriage. All of these are good, but I think they fall short in something critical. Because some of those things, they can be manipulative. Um, that, that I'm going to do these things to get uh, the response that I want in my marriage. And that's very shallow. I think there's something deeper that needs, I think that needs to occur. A couple of things, perhaps that maybe need to be clarified. Kind of been, kind of been elaborating on this already. And that is this: that intimacy does not mean sex. <laughs> uh, first of all, um, although for some folks that's what it's all about. My uh, my dissertation. Forgive me. I'm, my every time I mention this, I always think my credentials are going to be uh, <laughs> jeopardized. My dissertation is a biblical theology of marital intimacy. Now, when I, when I had completed that and my dissertation uh, was published, the library at Central Bible College had put it in its library. And uh, humorously, some of the students and student body made it their effort to try to find that book. And at the end of Central Bible College, when it merged with Evangel, I was privileged to have that book returned to me. And uh, I opened it up and found so many little sticket notes uh, of, of students saying, found it. Oh, I like this. And just their own humorous way of saying, we found the, as one person put it, the Holy Grail. Um, <laughs> they, these are Bible college students. They were desperate to get, maybe I'm going too far here. I'll say that to note that the, the mistake that they, even they made initially was that, and I hope you're not making, is that sexual, I'm sorry, that marital intimacy has only to do with sexuality. If that's the case, then you're going to be, you're going to be shallow, you're going to be empty, you're going to be wanting, and so is your spouse in many different ways. Your marriage will not be as fulfilled. If all you think of marital intimacy, that closeness together, if you only see it as being sexual, it, I think it, it includes at least six facets. This is part of my dissertation. It includes six facets of what, uh, what intimacy is all about. Sexual is the first one, that physical. I, we don't need to get into that. And if you do, we'll schedule uh, sex therapy later on if you'd like. Um, but the second is more, think of this, an emotional intimacy. Uh, whenever I say that, usually the, the wife, or she perks up. Oh, yes, emotions. Let's, let's talk about our feelings. I love uh, a description in terms of emotional intimacy um, that uh, a friend of mine, um, uh, Jim Bradford, who pastors in uh, Springfield, Missouri, he said this in one of his sermons. He said, uh, 
He said, when I drive home, he says, I have two things on my mind. And he says, two words, uh, feelings and details, feelings and details. He says, because I know when I go home, I want to be intimate with my wife emotionally. And she's going to ask me, how is my day? And my natural male response, he says, is going to be fine. And he's answered the question. He can move on. But that's not what she wants. I see some of you going like this. So you could probably relate to that. So he thinks, okay, feelings and details. <laughs> I thought that's a great idea. But what are my feelings? And, and, and what are some specific details in the day, what took place throughout the day? I used to joke with some premarital uh, kids and say, all right, if, you're, if, if that's a challenge, just, hey, fella, just make it up. Make up the feelings. Make up the details. Uh, but that would not be right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what I've decided, what kind of off of what Jim had mentioned, Jim Bradford had mentioned, um, I've come up with about five different W's that help me out with my wife to make that emotional and maybe a bit of intellectual intimacy uh, richer because I just want to answer by saying, fine, my day, how's your day? Fine, and move on. So I, I ask, the, the W's are, are this, the, the wows of my day, the wins, the wishes, the wounds, and the worries. Now think of this, fellas, um, and, 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 and ladies as well. If they're asking us, how's our day? It's not so much report, but... Let me be a part of your day. Um, share that experience with me. Uh, we don't quite get that in terms of the nurturing of that relationship. We might think of it as interrogation. They're thinking of it as uh, integration of our lives together. So what I want to do then is say, okay, here's the wows of my day. Here are the wins that took place in my day. Um, here, here's sort of the wishes. You know, I wish this would have happened. Um, the two hardest ones oftentimes for men is here are the wounds that happened. Um, uh, and the final one is, is here's, here's the, um, uh, the worries that I still have. And that ends up being sort of a prayer request that we pray together. Um, um, now, it's not a matter of, okay, I'm on my third W, I'm on this. I don't think my, I've been married for 34 years. I've implemented it in my life probably about five years now. I don't think she fully knows these five W's, <laughs> but she does know that when we do talk, that there's more than just now going to be more than just fine. Um, it helps to keep me on track. Let me stop here. Anybody wrestle with, again, male or female, anybody wrestle with that part of an emotional intimacy of, of what do I share, of what's inside, and maybe even what may be What's, what creates the hesitancy for us at times to share, to be deep in that emotional intimacy? So I remember coming home one day and uh, Robin asked me that question, uh, how, how was your day? And I had, I had kind of prepared myself for that question that day. And part of my preparation was I'm going to use as many colorful adjectives as I can. <laughs> because to your point, sometimes I feel like I'm giving a report, mm -hmm. uh, a list of, you know, what happened. And uh, uh, this particular day, I just decided I'm going to color, I'm going to add colors to the palette and use, uh, use descriptive uh, adjectives. Mm -hmm. and, and five, 10 minutes into this conversation, Robin looked at me and said, you're doing really good. <laughs> I felt like a kindergartner just got a star on his chart. Oh, that is good. But she noticed it. She noticed it. Yes. Maybe the only time it happened. I'm not sure. <laughs> Anyone else? Love to hear where you're coming from. I know oftentimes the struggle happens whenever I've had a lot of words during the day that I've had to speak. So by the time I get home, <coughs> I've used up all my words for the day. Well, sure. Well, and not only that, but even we're talking about emotions. If your emotions are in what you do and it's been a busy day, uh, you're a little bit on low. And so it's hard to go that extra step. I've heard some sub, some uh, husbands say, you know, uh, I, I, I want to compartmentalize. And that's what we men do oftentimes. It's uh, I want to put the work aside now. And I want to focus on here, or I just want to rest. I don't want to discuss that. And you keep asking me how my day was. I don't want to talk about that. Now, men are 
are very gifted in compartmentalized, much better than even women. You've, uh, oh, I have that uh, old book, maybe you've heard it before, that <laughs> uh, men are waffles and women are spaghetti. Crazy book, maybe written, what, 80s, 90s, something like that. Uh, what it meant was, you know, those waffles have little tiny square compartments. Uh, men are like that. I can compartmentalize here, put all the feelings, emotions there, and I want to whatever. But women, they're spaghettis. It's all over the place. And so they will, they will uh, spiderweb sometimes. They'll talk and bring this in, bring that in, and go through here. And it all just seems to fit together for women. And they don't mind sharing all of this together. Uh, it's a uniqueness. I sometimes think, God, why did you make us so different? I think so that God throughout all of eternity will have something to laugh at. Uh, so when we're trying to figure each other out, I think God elbows the angels and says, check this out. Um, I don't, maybe not. That's bad theology. Um, uh, uh, let's see, Mar Mariah? Yeah, Mariah. Can I speak from like a female perspective on this? Please. So I want to speak back to when my husband was in the service and he was in, he spent a year in Iraq and I as a, as a female, as a woman, you know, I wanted to be there. I wanted to support him. I wanted him to know that I was there. I was listening, but at the same time, like as a, coming again, from a military perspective, we were taught as the spouse, whether male or female at home, <coughs> don't push too hard, you know, let them come to you on their own terms. And so now that we're in ministry together, I've kind of taken that step too. And so I'll tell him, listen, I'm here. I want to hear everything you want to tell me, but I am not going to push and I'm not going to force you to tell me more than you're ready to tell me, but I'm here and I'm ready to listen when you're ready to talk. And so that's kind of been our perspective. Mm -hmm. And like, that's how we have like, but that's where it works for us. I know it does not work for everybody. And I'm not even suggesting that it does, but for us, that's what has really, really worked for us in our marriage is I'm here for you. I love you. I want to hear all about your day and what's going on, but I'm not going to push because I don't want to push you to a level of uncomfort. Yeah, that, that is so great. And here's, here's how I would put it. And I, I would agree a hundred percent with you because here's what happens too often. I'm going to borrow the, uh, uh, I'm going to borrow from, oh gosh. Oh, I can't remember his name. I feel like making up a name. Y'all wouldn't know anyway. You're not going to go research this. Um, <laughs> I won't say a name. I can't remember who wrote this, but uh, well, if I can borrow somebody else, uh, um, John Gray in the 70s and 80s wrote a book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Where? Mm -hmm. Venus, remember that? Where Martians are, Mars is the god of war. They came and populated this earth. He said, this is sort of an opening metaphor he has for us, populated earth, very, these conquerors. And then Venus at the same time, goddess of love, these Venetians, they came down to earth and they also colonized. And so we have men and women now. He doesn't believe that literally, but to start off, he says, we have two different species, men and women, and one are conquerors, the others are, are lovers, they're relational. Um, with that in mind, he says, when women have challenges and difficulties, they will go to the well, he says. They'll go to the well where all the other women go, and they'll talk and they'll share their feelings with any, without any threat. This is generally speaking, without, without, but it's just affirming it for them to share those things. But when men, and I think sociologically this is, this is true, when, when men have difficulties, when they have unresolved issues, they won't go to the well. They'll go, as, as, um, as uh, um, John Gray says, they will go to the cave. And that is, I'm going to get away by myself to try to figure this out. I won't talk to anybody about it, but when I do figure it out, then I'll come out and I'll talk to folks about this. So if there's unfinished business, let's say in a man's life at work, he doesn't want to talk about it because he hasn't quite resolved it yet. Now, if a wife who feels, hey, we're together, you're, how is your day? Let's go to the well and talk. Uh, he wants to hide in the den or in front of the television or in a book or in a closet, or in a shoebox, wherever he goes, uh, just to get away. So sometimes what it is, it's, it's, uh, if he's on his own island, it's as though the wife is trying to, trying to ram her boat into the island to try to get there. But the more she does it, the more she pushes him away. I think th this speaks to Mariah, I think what you're talking about, that the answer may be not so much 
tell me, tell me, tell me about it. But let me give you some space. I, I think one of the, one of the uniquenesses of, of men and women, um, and again, this isn't my thought, this may come from uh, Lesson Leslie Parrott. This is uh, where women do face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, you go to Starbucks, or maybe not anymore because of COVID, but you went to, if you went to Starbucks pre-COVID, they have these high tables and very close tables. If you went there, you'd probably see, if you saw two ladies together, they'd be very close to each other, sitting across and say, just face-to-face, -face, just telling their stories, whatever they do. I stay away from them. Um, <laughs> would, it'd be very rare to see at a Starbucks, at a small table like this, two men going like this, oh, tell me more. Uh, men don't do face-to-face. -face. What men do is shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. And that is they would do things together. They'll have activities together. But here's what I have found taking place, ladies who are here. If you commit to loving your husband with shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, we don't need to talk. We don't, we'll, I'll just be there with them. We'll get involved in this. Here's what I have found. And this is my personal story with my wife. All of a sudden, then I start spilling things out, not even realizing I'm talking about my feelings, talking about my day, and it's just happening. And I glance over at her at times and a big smile on her face, and she's thinking, ha, it worked. Um, <laughs> hanging out with you, just shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder activity, it brings that out. Um, and I found the opposite taking place, too, when a, a husband is really intentionally goes out of his way to say, even, I, mean, I don't feel like doing this. I'm exhausted emotionally. I'm on empty. But I'm going to, if you remember, scripture says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did he do that? He sacrificed himself. So I'm going to sacrifice some of this and be face-to-face -face with my spouse. You're going to find her very much more eager to be that side-by-side -side partner as well with you. Uh, but but, uh, but go again, just affirming what Mariah said, I think it's it, it sort of undermining if the wife wants to interrogate. They're, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, rather than I want to give you space, maybe us doing things together, me just hanging out together can be something great. Um, <clears throat> you can be creative in doing some of those things. Something my wife did just yesterday, um, in fact, I stole it from her. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, I have it here. Oh, here it is. Uh, you know, yesterday was a holiday, right? Um, it was um, where the United States has its sacred uh, holiday called the Super Bowl. Um, I watched the Super Bowl, but the two teams that were playing were not my team, so I didn't really care too much, but I always watch it and usually watch it for myself. That way nobody can hear me cuss. Um, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> well, my, my wife joined me in this and very rarely because she doesn't like football too much, but and especially because it wasn't our team. Um, so she sat there. <laughs> we're, we're sitting down watching the game. Um, I'm focused. Something happened in the game. And out of the blue, my, my wife says this. She says, come on, ref, let them play. I thought, oh, that was interesting that she's really into this. Uh, something else happened or I, I saw something and I got uh, a bit upset uh, not upset but just reacted in a negative way her response was come on you had one job I thought well, what did she do it how and then it hit me with this last phrase that she had she she says she looked at me and she said they, they got to establish their running game I thought listen you don't even know what that means where are you getting this what turned out <laughs> online, there was this, this, this uh, meme that says things to say during a Super Bowl to make it seem that you understand football with your husband. <laughs> and, and I'm reading this right now. It says they, the phrase they got to establish their running game. And then next to it says when to say it when your team has the ball. <laughs> or it says Roger Goodell is running the league. Is ruining the league, and and then it says when to say it anytime. Uh, <laughs> a list of those things. <clears throat> On the one hand, I thought you hypocrite, you don't know football. But more than that, I thought 
She's doing shoulder to shoulder with me. She's sacrificing to do this shoulder to shoulder because uh, she doesn't get me in that way. But afterwards, <laughs> we joked an emotional intimacy, but then we began to open up even more so afterwards, just, just appreciating this drop drew us closer. So I think there is a balance that we have in terms of nurturing this, um, uh, this emotional intimacy of, of how do we do it? How do we get people to, to share? But again, I mentioned emotion, but there's also other issues. For example, there's intellectual intimacy that is getting together as a husband and wife and talking about your just mem past memories. Talking about the future, dreaming together of what it could be like, um, of, of challenging a different concepts. What do you think about this? The news will bring out a lot of different stuff, but not so much a matter of, especially for men, that insight for us is power, um, that we'll want to be the ones who are in the know, that if she has something that she knows, that we're not threatened by that, but welcome that intellectual intimacy. I think that's critical. But not just that, there's sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy, there's uh, that, that intellectual intimacy, there's also relational, uh, re I'm sorry, re recreational intimacy. And that is, hey, do you, do you have things that you do for fun? Why not share it? That, that doesn't mean you need to own it, that if you like golfing, your, your spouse has to golf too, but why not bring them along with it? That's what my wife was doing the other day with yesterday with uh, with uh, the end of the, the, the Super Bowl. She's not going to own football. I know she's not, but she shares it with me. Um, my wife does this has this habit. I'm concerned with and praying that God would deliver her from it. It's called cricketing. She does <laughs> any little thing. She says, "Oh, I can make that for you," or "I can make that for you." I've got a lot of things that she's making for me. I appreciate it. So there are times that just say, oh, well, okay, let's do this. She loves photography. And so I said, well, what would it be if, if um, we got me a less expensive camera and we just went out and you just showed me what you do? I'm not going to be a photographer, but I cannot tell you how much that meant to her, that we shared, not owned, but that we shared each other's recreation. Um, there's social um, intimacy. Again, when you share each other's friends, don't own the friends. My best friends may not be hers, but at least we have that. But then there's also, and this should take place, hopefully within the church, within ministers, is that there's the spiritual intimacy. Um, what has God been talking to you about? What have your prayers been to God? That, that it's clear that we all pray by ourselves to God, and we, pray, we should pray as a couple, but to what degree do you share your personal journey, spiritual journey with each other? Um, some of the struggles that are there, some of the victories that are there. Uh, sometimes we ministers, we will want to compartmentalize even that. That's my job. I don't want to talk about that. Um, and so the husband and wife relationship is not fulfilled in that way. Let me stop there. Those are just, I think, some of the six facets, but you could probably add other, other facets to it as well. Um, um, not maybe ask this question, oh, what are your thoughts with, in regards to that? Are there any of those facets that you think, yeah, we're doing pretty good with those or others that, yeah, we might need to, um, might need to work a little bit more on this. Um, and if you're uncomfortable doing that, especially if your spouse is there, talk about the person in the box next to you on, in Zoom, okay? I think that relationship <laughs> needs to <laughs> No. Um, any thoughts? Love to hear your thoughts on this. When we started working together in missions, I think it was probably the time that he explained to me that compartmentalization aspect that I wasn't familiar with, um, where he would be trying to work through things in his head, but I would be trying to force what he's thinking out because we were together all the time and like we're working together now, but it, I wasn't understanding that he had to take the time to figure things out first and then he would explain himself or explain what's going on. And where I am a bubbly waterfall, whenever anything is going on, I'll just spill. <laughs> um, where he has to process first. So that was one of the biggest things, like getting to know how to work together was learning how he operates and then giving him that space and not assuming, okay, he's quiet, he's mad at me. And we also in that moment went from, <laughs> 
Uh, at that point, we we're going from me working as a teacher and her being at home with the kids to us literally in ministry together. So, I mean, it, we completely had to redo it all over again anyway because of all that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't that, again, we may ask the question, why are we so different? It'd be so great if my wife thought and processed things exactly like me. I don't think that would be too great. I think one of the reasons we're different internally, genetically different than men and women different. I think God understood that, listen, if we were all the same, then it wouldn't take long for us to get bored of each other. Your husband and wife relationship, it is intended to be a lifelong journey of discovery. Uh, let's see, Bill, you will never fully understand joy. And while that might seem like a frustration, it is, nope, this is a mystery journey, and you're going you're gonna to come up with a lot of discoveries, but you'll never get to the point that you know all of who she is, because every single day she's changing as well. So that, again, rather than being frustrated because of the differences, we ought to see it as new discoveries. I'm hesitant, and I'll probably put some men in their place if a fellow says, oh, psh, I know everything about my wife. That tells me you really haven't looked at your wife. You really haven't appreciated the depth of your wife um, because you will never, ever, ever know um, all of who they are. Um, it's intended to be a lifelong pursuit. Some of you are getting discouraged now. Oh, Lord. Um, no, it shouldn't be. Um, it, it's, especially if you see this as a, a journey of, of two. Which maybe leads me to, to kind of a second clarification. Uh, hey, Jim. Listen. Yes, sir. Excuse me one second. I see a hand raised. Oh, uh, can oh. we go with that? Chris oh, Merrill. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I um, just was thinking about all those things, and I feel like my wife and I, we do a pretty good job with it. But what I always find, and especially even this morning, was our timing is off. <laughs> Where... Uh, for example, we went to a doctor's appointment this morning, and she has a pretty major surgery coming up here soon. And uh, we've talked about a lot of these things, and we're on the same page. But all of a sudden this morning, she wanted to be more on the emotional side, and I was on the practical side. And I'm like, well, it, it's game time now. You know, like, we're going in, we I got to talk to this doctor, and we discussed some of these things. And she wanted, you know, the lovey-dovey, I want the doctor to emotionalize with me. And I was so, yeah, I just find like we, we do a good job of that, but I feel like I'm on the intellectual part when she's over on the relational part or, you know what I mean? Just the timing seems off a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, and let me say that that's not so much a, I would see it at least this way, that, that uh, uh, Chris, is it? Chris, it, it's not so much a matter of you two not being on the same page. I think it may be an affirmation that you are on the same page in that this way. You've taken on the mantle of being the protector and provider for her. So what are you going to do? You're going to look for all those answers. It's okay. All these details. And borrowing from the scriptures, wife submit to your husband, which sometimes is a bad phrase uh, as, as unto Christ. Now, how do you submit to Christ? It's I'm going to submit my worries to him. I'm going to submit my cares to him. So if a wife can do that to her husband, I see that taking place right there with you, that she doesn't have to worry about all those details of getting them done, of, 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 of doing all this. You're doing that already. So that frees her up to rest in what a woman does oftentimes is rest with those feelings and where we men sometimes don't do that. You've given her opportunity to not worry about that so that she can focus on this. And we might think, no, don't do that because that's it's making you more anxious. Um, but at the same time, what it's doing, it's allowing her to experience things in a way a woman will experience things better than us as men. Um, what that means, though, is for her to understand, perhaps, that, okay, he's going this way to take care of me. I, I need to applaud that and welcome that, his efforts, even if I don't understand why, that he's not right there with me. But for the in the same way, for you not to be that knight in shining armor to the point that you're dragging your damsel in distress <laughs> um, when she needs time maybe to pause a bit, that, that you be, uh, maybe call it a, um, an incarnational husband. 
and that is not that I'm way over here waiting for my wife to catch up. Maybe I need to go there and be present with her. Um, as it said of Jesus, the word became flesh. And <clears throat> perhaps I need to be there with her and just play with those feelings. Play with them, meaning have her share them. Have her talk about them. as Because what you're going to be doing is the face-to-face. -face. And as you do the face-to-face, -face, that might give her the, the, the comfort in knowing, okay, now we can move on. Um, but too often, husband will respond one way, the wife will respond another way, can't get each other, can't figure each other out, and that huge gap kind of enlarges. If we can both understand the, the goodwill of the decisions that are made by the other and trust that, that it is meant as a goodwill, then it allows, I think, bridges to be crossed and better understanding to take place. But um, Chris, I, uh, if you don't mind, um, uh, afterward, uh, I'd like to uh, keep your wife in prayer. Um, it, what is her first name? That's all I'll ask for. Yeah, my wife is Brittany uh, Merrill. And I actually okay. have to get off here in just a second because I need to run uh, something here for the church. But yeah, her name is Brittany and she's getting a, a total reconstruction of stuff that was done during cancer surgeries. So Okay. Okay. Uh, let her know that some crazy guy in Florida is going to be praying for her, okay? Yeah, I appreciate that. No, that was great. Great counseling for me in the moment, for sure. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks for sharing. Um, uh, let, me, uh, let me add to this conversation in terms of clarifying that, again, first of all, um, it's not just about sex. Hopefully, you've now seen all the, all, the implement, all the facets that are there. It's much more than just that one facet. If your understanding of, of closeness and intimacy is just that one one facet, you're going to be empty. There's going to be um, some thirsting there. Um, but the second thing is this, recognize that marital intimacy is not just like these books might infer. It's not just a, a time, an event, an occasion. It's Valentine's Day. And so now I've got to bring the flowers. Um, I would encourage you, fellas, you're much more romantic if you bring the flowers on Groundhog's Day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when it's not expected, because um, it's sort of an obligation. Now, that's not to say that you don't do anything for Valentine's Day. But, but what, what I'm trying to say is this, that too often we see marital intimacy as, a, as an occasion, as an event. Oh, yeah, we date. Oh, oh well, sure, we, we go to this seminar. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, sure, we do. And whatever that event, whatever. I, I would suggest this. Intimacy is not an event. It's not an experience. It's a perspective and a mindset that we need to have. Let me explain it this way. <laughs> um, I had the privilege of um, participating as a minister in a, a wedding of a couple that was getting married in the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, Greek Orthodox. Now, it was interesting in that because I was a, a Protestant, in their words, um, minister i was not uh what is the good word I, I i was not reverend enough to even stand on platforms at this wedding um but the couple who i have to mentor they said we want him to be a part of this so the the orthodox priest being very gracious he says here's what we'll do um during this you can conduct the marriage because it's a sacrament for them so what we'll have you do is maybe read the scriptures and I, I was privileged to read Ephesians chapter five, kind of husbands and wives in a relationship. So did that. But he said, here's, here's the caveat. In the Orthodox Church, he says, we never read the scriptures. We sing the scriptures, chanting it. And so I'm thinking, I don't know how to chant. I've never chanted. Um, I remember a, a Saturday night live chanting once, uh, but that's that wasn't the good enough. So but I love this couple. And so what I did is I, I had in my one of my Greek courses at Fuller Seminary, a couple of them, I had uh, my Greek professor was um, Father Samuel Gant, who was an Orthodox priest. And he would take some of the Greek uh, principles and he turned them into chants. Only in the indicative is time and element. Amen. Something <laughs> as funny as that. So I memorized that by those chants. And so I took some of those chants and turn them, read the scriptures in that way. It was one of the most awkward times for me. After I did it, 
uh, the the uh, the, uh, the the priest said, "You know, I've never ever heard such a wonderful sounding a chant as you did. It, it had a jazz feel to it." And I thought, "All right, I'll I'll, I'll take that." But but here's I, I appreciate though the idea that the Orthodox Church had, and that is where our, our common conversation with people, with life, it, it is with just a common talk at that tone. But when you come to something sacred like the Bible, you change your posture, you change your perspective, and we will sing the word of God. I think we do a little bit of that when we talk about prayer. When we talk, when we his, historically, maybe traditionally, when we think of praying, prayer is, is a conversation with God, but we end up getting on our knees, bowing our heads. There's a change in posture when we talk to the, to the divine. Well, I think the marriage relationship is also something sacred. I wonder if perhaps that's what Solomon meant when in writing the Song of Songs, that as, as if we think of song, the word even Song of Songs, um, like the Lord of Lords, there is Lord, but there's there's the Lord that's above all lords. There's the king, but then there's the king above all kings. There is a song of all the songs in the scriptures. There is a song of songs. Mm. And what is that all about? The song of songs. It's about love. Mm -hmm. Paul put it this way, of all the great virtues, the greatest of these is, is, is love. I think song of songs is the Song of Songs because it talks about a unique relationship a husband has with the wife. So think of this metaphorically now. Right now, I'm having a conversation with you. But when my wife comes into the room, I want to have a song. That is, my conversation with her ought to reflect something different. Now, she does not want me to sing, and I don't want to literally sing, but it ought to be something very, very unique in how I approach her. I'm wondering if some couples, their, their conversation is not a song, it's a debate, or always an argument, rather than a song of something beautiful. When people see you together and hear your conversations, when you look at each other, is it like a song? I think that's a part of what the Song of Solomon is trying to teach us. There's something much more to that conversation than we might, might assume. Uh, any, any thoughts to this? Well, Jim, I, it's gold what, how you framed out for Chris, the uh, wives submit to your husbands. Hmm. Um, you know, when I hear that word submit, typically the way it is used is forced obedience uh, or coerced obedience, but what I heard you say was more leaning into um, even, you know, casting all your cares upon him, uh, that, that verse of scripture came to mind. That's how we submit to, we submit the, our worries to the Lord. Wow, what a, what a great way to frame that out. Yeah, in fact, uh, that, that S word, uh, uh, is unique and submit, but I think we men have an S word as well that I think is much more difficult to swallow, and that is this, because if we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, it is sacrifice. If a husband is truly demonstrating an ongoing, faithful, consistent way of sacrificing, mm -hmm. it'll be easy for the wife to want to submit those concerns, the care, the leadership, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, it, there's, there is a, a, a give and take in this, though, and that is if a wife fails to, to, to trust the husband in, in a submission in that way, it makes him less eager to, to care for her. And the less he cares, the less she wants to trust him with those things. Um, so there is a vicious cycle, unfortunately, that takes place with that. But um, my hope is that... Uh, there would be that unique uh, value in uh, in caring for one another in that way. Um, can, I, can I add something to that? Just with what you were just talking about, yep, um, the um, the submission uh, wives submit to your husbands is something that we hear a lot. Like it's it's a almost to the point where it's kind of cliche in the church. I mean, it's out of the Bible. So, but I think it's funny because we we always uh, quote that verse, but not the verse right before it. 
because the verse right before it says submit to one another out of reverence for christ it, it's not men to woman woman to men it's submit to each other and then wives submit to your husband it, it's almost like hey we're all supposed to do this wives you're going to take the lead in it because you're going to be better at it yeah you know what i mean yeah. so, well, so you yeah. do this and show your husbands how to do it too because we're supposed to submit to each other yeah, so, I think well, you look at that entire passage of Ephesians chapter five. Um, it, it is it, Paul's developed a theology leading into chapter five of there's a new kingdom. There's a new cosmology based on what Christ has done because of the cross, us living with Christ and in Christ because of that. Here's how we ought to be living. So he says this. Parents. Um, Here's how you ought to relate to your children. Children, here's how you ought to relate to your parents. And I think it's we could use that the same way. Parents, submit to your children in this way. Parents, be faithful in the duty and the calling that God has called you in the relationship you have with your children. Children, submit to your parents in, the, in that. In, in the responsibility, the duty that you have as a child, demonstrate that to your parent, loving, honoring them. And it even goes to, Slaves and, 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 and slave owners submit to one another as well. Slaves, well, we can see it as employees for us today, but even employers, you need as a leader, as a carer, as you know that God is your master as well. And how does God treat you? You ought to be submitting with the abilities you have, with the authority, with the, with the responsibilities you have in caring for even those that are under you. Back in that culture, there was slaves. I think, and then he goes in with now the, the focus of, of a husband and wife. And that is, listen, you both have uniquenesses. Would you agree that women are different than men and men are different? Not better, just different. And if that's the case, if God has given very unique perspectives, abilities for women and unique perspectives and, and abilities for men, we ought to use those differences submitting them to serve one another. Um, there is no lording over that sometimes when think of, of a headship or whatever, think of submitting would imply. I think that that destroys what God had in mind. Jesus is Lord, but he never lords it over. He's demonstrated that care by dying for us, sacrificing for us, hearing us, giving us everything we need, even a comforter. Um, that's the relationship I think a husband and wife ought, ought to have. Um, but but uh, thanks for, um, for, for sharing. Um, I can't remember. Uh, it was Bill that had shared that. Uh, some initial closing thoughts, if anything. Um, think of uh, going back to the um, Song of Solomon. Uh, he, he says this of her, boy, in terms of, of, of really recognizing the value of uh, and, uh, and uh, appreciation of, of his wife being a song to her. He says, she's a lily among thorns. Um, uh, for me, that, that's a home run. Um, if you read carefully, though, in that passage, the word thorn or, or lily comes just before then. Lily, we think is something beautiful, um, but it's not necessarily, it's more of a wild flower, like a dandelion. Because um, the wife before the, the bride or the beloved, she says beforehand, she says, I'm I'm just a lily. The Hebrew description, I'm just a wildflower, nothing special about me, she says. And he steps in, interrupts her almost, and, and says, No, if you are a lily, you're a lily among thorns. If you think you're like that, listen, compared to everyone else, you are above and beyond those sort of things. Can you hear the a, a, a song taking place? You're, I'm not going to just have this conversation with you. I'm going to sing to you. You have captivated my heart, he says, my sister, my bride. You, you've captivated my heart at one glance of your eyes. Um, um, it's, oh my goodness, uh, Valentine's Day, still from Solomon, okay? There's some good insights that he has. But, but I say that to note, there should be a singing. Uh, maybe if I can be a little bit of a pastor here, have you lost your song? with your partner. You may not even realizing that you're singing anymore. Mm. And you may have started the singing where all your voice changes, where you're, 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 you celebrate each other. There is that feel of emotion as you have that conversation. 
but eventually, perhaps because of time, it now becomes from a song to a debate or just arguments or whatever it would be, or just, yeah, my conversation with her is, or with him is just like any conversation with anyone else. Marital intimacy is not about a date. It's not about activity. It's about a lifestyle. It's not a note, if you would. It's a song that ought to be sung. Any thoughts? Zane, Zane Huffman, go ahead. There we go. I mean, um, going back to what you said about um, the uh, uh, differences of view and differences of um, emotional versus uh, mm -hmm. pra practical and how like both sides have to understand that they're coming from a good will. Yeah. And this maybe is just a question because of, you know, only being uh, this July celebrating fourth year of marriage. So, but how would you um, suggest facilitating both parties, both sides, being able to come to that understanding? Because I think that's where me and my wife a lot of times have our difficulties of yeah. remembering that we are, you know, as you said, coming from a good place of goodwill. Yeah, here's, here's I, and that's a great question, uh, Zane. Appreciate you asking that. I, I think so maybe a bit of misunderstanding in, in, in terms of can, can, why is it just a one-way street? Because if you're I'm only talking to one individual, how do I get the other one to buy into this? where there's a little bit of manipulation in that. Here's what I have found because of how we're made, un unless there's some deviant perspective or deviant um, of motive an individual has. I usually describe it as, but if, if there's goodwilled individual, a goodwill husband, goodwill wife, they want the best, they just don't know. Uh, sure, we can, we can teach them that, but here's what I found. The greatest lesson is not sitting down and saying, here's what you're doing wrong and here's how to do it right. I think there's something really innate within us that can work. I'm going to steal this from a guy named uh, Emerson, uh, Emerson Egrich, who wrote the book on um, um, love and respect. He, he, he borrows from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. It says, uh, let, let husbands um, love their wives, but wives respect your husbands. Um, almost closing off that conversation um, of, of the of the headship of the submission and all that stuff but he closes off with that uniqueness i think this is the case i, I truly be, believe this because i've seen it in in a lot of, of people that i couples that i'll work with um if a husband truly demonstrates love without any without any strings attached and true love should have no strings attached um, if a husband truly demonstrates love for his wife, what that creates is um, her admiration and appreciation with, within her. The natural response will be for her to respect her husband. Admires him and respect. May not be the first time. It takes a while sometimes to get them, the, the wheels going in that. Um, that it may not be, well, I demonstrated that one act of love. She needs to respect me now. No, it may be that you, you need to set a, an atmosphere of love for them. And that's more than one, one uh, issue. That's more than one uh, event. But if I can demonstrate true love to her, her natural response will be to respect me. And the more she demonstrates respect to the husband, the more inclined he's going to be to love her. The more inclined he is to love her, the more she's inclined to respect him. And deep relationship begins to take place. I think that's why Paul closes off Ephesians in this conversation with the husbands and wives saying, here's the secret. Because women are more relational. There's a need that they have for love more than men. In fact, surveys will show this. Research will show that men would prefer to be respected more than they would be prefer to be loved. Women would prefer to be loved more than they would prefer to be respected. If that is the case, then there is a need that's there. So husbands, you're not to love them because they're lovable. You are to love them because they need love. And let me reverse that. Wives, you're not to respect your husband because he's respectable. 
You'd respect them because they need respect. It's a basic need that they have. Now, now if um, I can already hear some husbands oftentimes say, yeah, 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 but you know, my wife, she is not beloved. And that is, she's not a lovable person. You don't do it because they're, they're lovable. You do it because they need it. I've heard this many times. Wives will, 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 will shoot back at me or my own wife and say, no, no, no. I can't have any respect for him because look what he's done. And, and it's all based on their behavior, not them as a person. Every individual has some, some component of respect. We're all made in the image of God. But we don't respect them because they deserve it, ladies. You respect them because they need it. And here's what happens, men, when we truly demonstrate that love, not with nothing in return, but true love, it breathes life into them. And their natural response will be to demonstrate that respect. And ladies, when you make the commitment and intentionality of respecting them, it breeds a greater desire for them to love you. And a wonderful cycle takes place. Uh, a lot of what I'm reiterating comes from uh, um, uh, Egrich's book, um, but I think it's a healthful, health, healthy way of, of at least appreciating this unique dance that takes place. Um, that is, I think, that's, in, that's, that's uh, critical. But, but, but going back to what Zane had said, there's something that we need to appreciate, and that is this. And I remember preaching this once in my church in, in New York. Um, I, I, I made this confession near the end of a sermon on marriage. I paused, did a dramatic pause from the pulpit, sighed a bit, and looked them in the eyes with the microphone phone fully blared. I said, uh, I need to confess to you folks. My wife and I have been married for, back then it might have been maybe 30 years. I said, uh, I need to confess, but marriage is not for me. And I took the step further. I said, um, I did not marry my wife for me. I married her for her. I am in it, not for me. I am in it to make her a better person. I'm in it to make my children better children. And if she is saying the same thing, that I am not in it for what I can get out of it, I'm in it to invest in my husband. You've got an incredible relationship that takes place. Don't know if you know what the first description of sexual, sexual relationships was given in, in Hebrews, in, in the Hebrew or in the ancient text. In Genesis, talk about Adam and Eve having sex. But the Hebrew would never use that vulgar word, that so straightforward word. It always had euphemisms of he laid with her, he took her, or he knew her. And all those have different components. He took her is always a description of a, of a, of a very self-focused, barbaric desire, like a rape. He took her. Think of that, even that imagery. Um, he laid with her oftentimes is just a description of, of the act itself. But whenever the scripture wants to know a healthy relationship, it is the phrase Hyada, he knew her. Now think of this uniqueness, Hyada, of all the words that they could have come up with to describe intimacy, se sexual intimacy, but I think it goes beyond that. It was Yada. It's as though it, it was, it's as though as this personal encounter is really about me wanting to know you. Where the focus is not on me, the focus is on you. Whether you're talking about the marriage bed, that, all right, husband, your, your, your task is not to get your fulfillment, but your task is to fulfill her. Her task is not to get her fulfillment, but for, for her to fulfill you. It's, it's the other individual. Or it's almost like saying, I know you like I know no other. There's that unique intimacy. Uh, uh, there's 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 a, a, a perhaps a message i think that god wanted to give us in this understanding and that is that human persons don't just mate but we meet think of this of all now i'm not a biologist but of all the species in all of humanity humans are the only creatures that are created to mate facing each other why i think it's because god intended it not to be just some instinctual interaction but a relationship of one individual knowing the other i think that's a part of what paul was talking about to the whole church do nothing out of selfish ambition or or, or vain conceit but out of humility count the other person more significant than yourself or as paul said in first corinthians 13 he says uh, that love does not seek its own mm -hmm. 
God, help me in my relationship, not just talking about the bed, but in every interaction you have with your spouse, that it's not about me demanding that my wife or my husband react in this way or, or give me my needs. I truly believe if it's two good-willed individuals, if you are doing your part, husband, love your wife, and or wife, respect your husband, you're going to find a healthy relationship being nurtured. So here's what I, I've heard some people say this, that, um, I, well, listen, we've got this problem. He doesn't want to do this. She doesn't want to do this. I'm not going to be the first to make this because they're the ones at fault. My response is usually, oh, they'll ask, well, well, so who should start? Who should be the first to start off? I'm not going to do it. They should do it. Now, I'm not going to. They should. My response is, the one who should start first is the responsible one. <laughs> And well, they both think that they're the responsible one. So the task is for, for both of them to own this. Mm-hmm. I know what, again, I, my, my time is up. That's why I said I had some points in terms of how a husband could love his wife and also how a wife can demonstrate that respect for her husband. But we've, we've run out of time. So go ahead and go and I'll continue on. And that recording will be there. <laughs> now. Uh, well, Jim, but, thank you so much for your time um, I'm going to ask you to, to pray, uh, pray blessing uh, over us, and uh, we also want to remember Brittany, uh, Chris Merrill's wife, uh, who's facing some major surgery. Um, but uh, the minister and, and their love life, uh, you, you hit on it earlier, and I just want to expand for a second we don't do it just for our self-fulfillment, self-gratification. There are so many other people that our love for one another touches. I think of my children and that it was Robin and I's responsibility to set up for them a model of what healthy married love looked like so that when they went searching for their emotional counterpart, they would find a healthy person that reflected the same uh, values, respect, honor for one another that they saw in their mom and dad. Um, We also find ourselves as ministers, and I don't mean to, to saddle everybody with super heavy responsibility, but uh, folks in the pew are looking to the persons on the platform as a role model, as a a reference point for hope that they can have a healthy, satisfying love life in this life also. So we do uh, what we do, not just for ourselves. We do it for ourselves. You can't get around that. But we also recognize that our, that our children, our grandchildren, our, our congregation, those that we uh, disciple and mentor are looking for uh, a pattern that is reasonable, realistic, achievable, enjoyable, something that they can uh, lean into as well. Yeah. Uh, let's pray. Thanks. Lord Jesus, what a, what a privilege it is to, to gather with these um, ministers, with these leaders of the church. Um, well, as Paul said, God, you have humbled us, finding us worthy, um, placing us into ministry. It is humbling knowing that. With that privilege of being ministers is a responsibility to communicate the gospel. We communicate the life-giving gospel truly from the pulpit but god i believe very much so it's communicated even more so perhaps even more clearly in uh, in our lives and if there's a husband and wife relationship lord there's so much grace that can be demonstrated love that can be demonstrated patience goodness a kindness all the fruit of the spirit can be clearly seen in a husband and wife relationship but god i know that there are also relationships that are hurting as well And so I don't want to take it lightly with even some of the mandates or the suggestions that I had given um, doesn't imply that these steps are going to be easy. There may be healing that's needed in the midst of this. But I would pray, God, that in the instruction you give us on how to care for each other, 
you give us the hope and the faith in knowing that as we do our part in, in carrying out our part in loving our spouse, that it will breathe life into them, breathe healing into them, bring, bring vision into them to carry their part, Lord. Help us in this, dear Jesus. Father, I pray that your anointing would continue to be on, on these ministers, anointing for strength, for insight, for creativity, for rest as well. God, pray a blessing and covering and protection for their marriages, Jesus. Help them, guide them, protect them, Jesus. And I pray, use them. Father, we pray also for Chris's wife, Lord, um, Brittany, that you would care for her. The anxiety that she has is, is real, that yeah. she is worried. But I pray, Lord, that there'd be a supernatural peace coming upon her. Pray you give Chris wisdom in how to shepherd and care for her during this dark time in her journey. But I pray also for healing. Touch her, God. May it be another token and demonstration of your calling and your hand upon this couple. Bless them, I pray. Yes. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Yes. Amen. 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 Well, happy Valentine's Day, everybody.